Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Dragons Are Real podcast. I'm your host, Pete Jones. So, as you can see, we've had a bit of a rebranding on the channel. I uh, did some designs in Canva for a new logo. I just felt time was right to have a new logo after 70-odd episodes. So did uh, a load of designs in Canva and uh, put them out to the subscribers on the various platforms uh, with a choice. I think I give a choice of 20 of the 37 designs I had. And then we had a clear winner, which you see before you, and which is a nice uh, monochrome. Um, so it fits in with the old school style. And then my old mucker, John Allen Large, uh, one of my uh, co-hosts from the uh, old Purple Worm podcast, gave me some uh, tips on how to uh, add a bit of 3D-ness to it. We've got some new music. Yeah, I know a couple of people complained that the old music was a bit loud. And yeah, so I've gone for something a bit more contemporary. And uh, the music you hear at the start is Fast Car by uh, Mocker. And I've done a bit of uh, work on the audacity in that to fit that in. So I uh, hope you enjoy the new music to go along with the new logo. And, uh, yep, I'm very pleased with the new uh, branding. So that will go on all the sort of social media and sort of have the one image. And it also works quite uh, well as a sort of small icon or avatar for things like Discord and that sort of stuff. So uh, what have, be- have I been up to otherwise? Well, busy old time in the old Dragon's House. Um, I picked up Adventures in Middle-Earth uh Lawmaster's Guide and Player's Guide. I'd previously got all the PDFs from the um, the bundle of holding when Cubicle 7 gave up the rights to it. But um, I thought I saw a couple of books on the old Flea Bay and I thought, why not pick uh, these uh, the two hardbacks up because I always find it easier to read the old hardbacks. So pick those up and I'm going to talk about more on this episode. As for um, my 5e campaign, that's almost coming to a close. Um, we've probably got one more session left if the party survives it so they're in deep shit with that one uh, that's Horde of the Dragon King uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen even uh, so then um, I was looking at going on to something else and I mentioned to my players that I just got Adventures in Middle Earth and quite fancied that and within the hour they decided yeah they wanted to play that we've got now got a party of dwarves yeah I'll talk about more of that after the break and uh, the only other thing, as you know, I've got uh, a YouTube channel and I've been doing some um, episodes on different virtual tabletops. And uh, one that's been on my radar now for probably a couple of years now is the Mythic Table. And I've now joined the Mythic Table team in a very small role. Mythic Table is a open source free virtual tabletop. And they've just released their first playable to Patreons and onto their Discord. So uh, I'm going to be helping the team with some of the documentation and sort of the QA, quality assurance for documentation and that sort of thing. So excited for that. So yeah, the first playable out is that, Bare Bones. And we're hoping that by the end of the month there should be a public release of the first playable. So quite a bit of work to do on that one, but looking forward to that. So uh, let's get on to Adventures in Middle-Earth. So let's get on to the review, Adventures in Middle-Earth. As I said in the intro, it was a Cubicle 7 product, but Cubicle 7 have now uh, lost the license or given the license up and... They are doing a second edition of Adventures in Middle-Earth and the One Ring, and it's going to be hosted by Free League. 
So I managed to pick up the uh, two books, as I said, um, on eBay, and it's based on D&D 5e, which is probably my favourite iteration of Dungeons & Dragons since the old BX days. It's very uh, faithful to the um, old editions of D&D, but with some modern design philosophies. If you don't know how to play D&D 5e, have you been living under a rock? Very easy. Roll a d20, add a modifier or two, and you're trying to beat a target number, and then you cause damage on hit points. And that's basically D&D 5e in a nutshell. So what is Adventures in Middle-earth then? So it's built on the core D&D 5e rules, and it's set five years after the Battle of the Five Armies. For those who don't know your Tolkien history, it is the point between the original uh, story of The Hobbit and the uh, mega trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, it's set in that period between those two periods. And it's five years after the Battle of the Armies of the Five Ring. And you've got a few decades of time there um, to, to play in that um, you've got the law of the, uh, the two books either side. So it's quite a rich time period. And it's predominantly set in the Wilderlands. Now, the beauty of Tolkien is that a lot of the places get mentioned in passing and they are not really sort of uh, given a lot more sort of detail. So it uh, gives you the chance as players and a GM to probably add a bit more detail. So as you would imagine, there's had to be quite a few changes um, to the classes and backgrounds and all that sort of stuff for Adventures in Middle-earth, and this sure has. Uh, it's also a low fantasy setting, so you've got no magicians or clerics or any of that sort, because let's face it, in the old Middle Earth Tolkien, it was only the likes of Sauron and Gandalf that had the real magic. So the cultures that we've got, which was uh, formerly races in D&D 5e, so we have Bardings, Beernings, Dunedain, Dwarves of the Lowly Mountain, the Elves of Mirkwood, Hobbits of the Shire, Men of Bree, Men of the Lake, Men of Minas Tirith, Riders of Rohan, and the Woodmen of the Wilderland. So predominantly you've got three uh, non-men uh, races, your Elves, your Dwarves, and your Hobbits. Onto the classes, a big change with the classes as well. We have got our scholar, which is our learned person. We have our slayer, treasure hunter, a wanderer, a warden, and a warrior. And as you would expect, uh, each of these has a number of feats um, that they that they acquire. And you can see when you start reading these feats that uh, they really are themed in well with the Tolkien. Um, you can see that the authors really do know their subject and are great lovers of it. And the way Adventures in Middle-earth works with the One Ring, um, well, the One Ring was the original system that the guys who designed Adventures in Middle-earth did, and it is a complete um, framework and system on its own. And then what they did was they've converted the One Ring to D&D 5e. So basically they've kept all the same artwork and all the same fluff they'd written for the One Ring, but use 5e mechanics. So obviously it's a big save for them. It means that they can use the same material and it's not double the work. And it's just a matter of converting over things like stats and working out how the things like the classes and the cultures and all that sort of stuff works in 5e. So, and obviously it opens up, up to a bigger audience. Then we have virtues, which are sort of special gifts and talents. And the, the men races, 
uh, get these uh, one of these at the beginning of the game. Other races get them as they go up the levels. It's got a leveling system just as it has in 5e and at each uh, up to 20 levels at each of the levels you get uh, new proficiencies and um, new feats and uh, these virtuals give our special gifts and again uh, there's open virtues which uh, anyone can have at any of the races and then we've got race specific uh, virtues and again these all fit in very nicely with the theme. Next up we have backgrounds and everyone gets a background and uh, these sort of determine how the your class answers their call to adventure. Uh, they give you sort of qualities, um, specialities, hope and despair which you can roll for randomly uh, or you can pick and these uh, do two things. First of all they give you some hooks to uh, for your role playing but secondly for the GM it gives ways that you can award inspiration to your players. So if they're playing their backgrounds then it's a good way to reward them for following those backgrounds and uh, again these are all fit in very very nicely the very theme very well for the Tolkien background. Then we get on to the equipment and the equipment list has been um, pared down from 5e and basically only weapons and armour specifically mentioned in the Tolkien works are included in the book. It's all very themed, armour has been renamed and weapons have been named where appropriate and there's one new weapon which is the uh, matag, which is a heavy di digging implement that the dwarves tended to use. So uh, that's the addition. They've also um, altered the prices because in Lord of the Rings and in uh, Adventures in Middle-earth we've got uh, changes to the uh, the money um, gold is not so common everything is done in silver and we've got uh, 12 copper coins is one silver and then if you do find a gold then that is equal to 20 silver pennies then we get on to the new rules and the first one of these is journeys now if you've read any of Tolkien's work uh, quite often the journeys that's the fellowship and other um, characters within the books took was really important to the story. So there's an entire system here uh, for planning out journeys and how to do them. And I really like these rules. Uh, basically, um, the first thing the players have to do is when they're making a journey, they have to set out the route. And there's two maps. There's a player's map and there's a GM's map. And the player's map has obviously got less detail on what they know about the area. And they plan out the route that uh, they are going to take. And then the GM will look at his map and superimpose that route on top of um, his map and work out the peril rating of the journey. And the peril rating is uh, a number between 1 and 5, which can increase uh, if it's winter conditions depending on where the majority of the sort of journey takes place. And if you're using things like and, uh, ponies and boats, then that reduces the power rating. But you get this uh, power rating and record the numbers, 1 to 5. And then each of the players then takes a roll for the journey. And each person must have one roll. And if there there's four different roles, and if so there's more players, then you can have multiple people doing the same thing apart from the guide. So you have a guide who's in charge of all decisions concerning the route, rest and supplies. You have a scout who's in charge of setting up the camp and opening new trails. You have a hunter in charge of finding food in the wild. And you have a lookout who's in charge of keeping watch. 
and each of these uh, roles will have specific things to do within this sort of this uh, this mini game. So the guide player makes an embarkation roll by rolling a d12, and it's modified by their survival proficiency, half the wisdom bonus minus the peril rating. And the lawmaster then looks this up on the table and either relays the result to them or he hints at the results if you want to do it like that. And uh, the, it can mean things like uh, on the uh, journey that you've got uh, meagre supplies and poor meals. It can mean that you're doing, uh, you've got fine weather. So loads of th- uh, thematic stuff here. Then the second, the next thing you do is you work out how many events are going to ha- occur on this journey. And if it's a short journey, you're getting 1d2 challenges. On a medium journey, you get 1d2 plus 1. And on long journeys, 1d3 plus 2. And the um, terrain can also modify this role. And then you've got a, a, a table for sort of the sort of events that can occur on the journey. And in the supplement box, then these event tables have also been tweaked even more to sort of fit in with the uh, different areas of the campaign. And again, that, that's a dice roll. And then you play through these events and noting down any results that may be pro- uh, appropriate. And then final part of the minigame is the arrival f- uh, phase, where you roll a d8 uh, modified by terrain to see uh, what happens when the company arrives at the destination. Do they get there in one piece or do they get there in a bit of a state? And things like exhaustion are really important rules uh, within Adventures in Middle-earth. Another important thing is that you can't do a long rest on a journey. So journeys are an important part of the whole adventure. And as I say, it's a mini game in itself. Then we get on to the shadow. Every player has shadow points which start at zero and you get um, shadow points for experiencing sort of distressing events or tainted areas um, and such things like that and as you accumulate these uh, shadow points once they get to a point where they equal your wisdom score then bad things start happen and you start um, succumbing to corruption. So it's for the players to try and keep these shadow points down if they can and dealing with them uh, as as you go along. And obviously in this setting it's assumed that the players are going to be good because everybody in Middle Earth is of a good nature and they're all trying to uh, keep the dark forces at bay. So if you like playing evil uh, parties then this you won't be playing this game good parties only. The other things they, they've added to the rules, which I really like, is audiences. So that uh, when adventurers uh, go to meet um, important people within the setting, whether it be kings or princes or even famous characters, there's a whole set of rules here, how to uh, seek an audience um, and what sort of result will, uh, will happen when they do seek an audience. And the other big thing is they've added is called the fellowship phase. Now... The game is set over many years and it's sort of uh, assumed that adventurers will only do one or two adventures per year and then after those one or two adventures then there's a fellowship phase just like there is in the books and basically what happens is that the um, players go to a, a place of sanctuary somewhere where they are safe 
and they can do things like um, rest, recover, train. I mean, all, all the players, all the characters can, if so wish, go to the same place, or they can go to their own sanctuary, split up, and then come back together again for another adventure, which is just like it was in the books. So in this way, you can play a campaign over several sessions, but it can be sort of a few years. And again, this fits in uh, really nicely with the, with the theme. Looking through the books, it really sort of inspires you. I, I was a, a big fan of Middle-earth. Uh, read the books when I was very young. I've read Lord of the Rings a few times now. And this gives you an idle opportunity to play in that setting. And I also like the fact that there is very little magic because when you play D&D in the old days, you, you were always inspired by um, the Middle-earth and Lord of the Rings, but uh, the magic was very high which was not like uh, how the books were. Um, a quick mention of the um, Lawmaster's Guide. That's got lots of tips on how Lawmaster or the GM should run the game. What some people might not like is that there isn't a great um, variance of uh, monsters in it or bestiary, but that's because in Middle-earth there wasn't that uh, much um, spread of different types of monsters. So from what... My overview of the game is it's going to be a lot less uh, dungeon-y, like 5e. Uh, I think there's going to be more emphasis on role-playing, a um, bit more chance for role-playing. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Um, I will keep you posted on how this goes. Uh, we're starting in, hopefully, three weeks. So, uh, yep, Adventures in Middle-earth. Uh, if you like your Tolkien, I can highly recommend this, uh, this system. Um, I know they're going to make some changes for the second edition, but the first edition, as far as I'm concerned, is very playable. And you can pick it up for reasonable prices uh, on auction sites. Um, people are getting rid of their stock now, so you might be, be able to pick yourself up a bargain. So uh, check that out. So that's all for this episode, and I'll uh, catch you all on the flip side.